the free for all roundtable round one on round one today, let's say good morning to Tim Hudak, former leader of the Ontario Conservatives. He's now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. Laura Babcock from Power Group Communications, also host of The O Show. And Mark Warner is here, international trade lawyer. Good morning to you all. Hope that uh, if you have already been outside, you've weathered the weather. Um, let's move very quickly through this topic because there are a few things more tedious than people whinging about masks. But um, <laughs> yesterday in the House, Peter interim leader of the NDP, was decrying the fact that the Premier and various other Conservatives in the House were not wearing masks. Uh, Mark, let me start with you. Is that much of a liability or just the usual opposition complaining? I just think at this stage of, uh, of, of where we are in this pandemic that I, I, don't, I just don't think that people care as much about this as they used to. I think some people will put the masks on, some people won't, some people get obsessed, but they see people without it on. So I, I think that it is not really a mandate, but a recommendation. So in a sense, if it's just a recommendation and not a mandate, not putting one on seems consistent with what they're doing. That's the way I guess I kind of look at it. I don't see it as a big deal. I, I do realize that there are some people who will think it's a big deal, and, and those are people who were probably never going to vote for him anyway. Yeah, possibly. Uh, Laura Babcock, it just seems it's a bit like the people who pick a fight with you if you find yourself without a poppy. You know, it's like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm not wearing the label of compassion. I'm not judging adults who choose not to wear masks, even though Kieran Moore, if you watch his press conference, made a pretty good plea for all adults to put one on when they're out in uh, public indoor spaces because of the children and the children's hospital crisis. Where I differ from Mark's opinion is we're not talking about just anybody. We're talking about the premier who he himself said that adults should wear masks whenever possible, get the flu shot and get vaccinated. So he had the possibility to wear it. He didn't wear it. He's just not showing the kind of leadership consistency that you hope from a leader, but it's not a surprise after what we saw throughout the entire pandemic on his messaging strategy around COVID. He likes to have it both ways. Okay, and Tim Hudak, you spent time in the House, obviously. Would you have been wearing a mask yesterday if you were an MPP? Oh, man. <laughs> I guess I would follow the party line. I, I wouldn't. I've been doing my little mask check on the subway Monday and Tuesday, and I'd say one out of five on the uh, Toronto subway were masked up. But look, just like in, in tennis, there are forced errors and there are unforced uh, errors, and I think this was an unforced forest area. I think it was a mistake to put the medical officer of health out to have this sort of halfway sit on the fence position on masks. You, you pick a lane. Uh, but if he does say you, he recommends masks, then it is appropriate for members of the government to be wearing masks, even if they want to do so. I think this was an avoidable error. It was an unforced error. And uh, you got to be consistent on one side or the other. So uh, should Toronto be waiving our drinking laws and regulations to allow people to enjoy a pint while watching an early morning match from Qatar? Laura Babcock, we've done it before. So it's not, you know, it's not going to turn into some sort of calamity. Yes, yes. Heck yes. I mean, what are we doing? <laughs> you know? As you know, John, I grew up in Montreal and the joke was always that Toronto rolled up the sidewalks at eight o'clock. Yeah, we're, we're not known in Toronto for having a particularly vibrant city life. At least we're getting better. But this is one example. You got these these pubs that have lost money during the pandemic saying, please, can we just open? Even eight o'clock would work. And, you know, council missed the ball. Tory's looking at it now. They have a chance to approve this when they meet next week. 
week, just do it and let people go out and have a pint. All right. Is there anybody on the panel who's going to go all carry nation on us here? Or uh, Tim Hudak and Mark Warner, are you both on board with the I idea? Actually of had, a- I actually had this gig at one point uh, in time, John. I was a minister that was in charge of that regulation. Man, that was a few <laughs> World Cups ago. But I allowed it from a province of Ontario uh, point of view. And it's been a big success. I remember at that point in time, it was all there be drunks in the street at, you know, 6 a.m. Yeah. or whatever. What a bunch of nonsense. Let's just make this a permanent thing. What's the big deal? Okay, so let's yeah. move on. Well, no, go well, ahead, I Mark. Say, well, I'm not. I don't mind it. It's not an issue I would go to world, but I, I do think it, you know, 5 a.m. in the morning does strike me as a bit early. And it, from what I saw in the article, it does seem to be this is earlier than what we did in the past. Uh, we just tended to when people have these conversations for people to say, oh, we did this before. Well, you got to actually look at the details. Uh, I don't even think we did 8 a.m. before. So um, I think I, when I started, when I looked at the hours be 5 a.m. or 8 a.m., I thought, well, that's kind of a closer call. So I would want to look more closely at what exactly we did before, because that, that, that does strike me as fairly early. Uh, Girl Guides of Canada are going to rename the Brownies. We don't know what the new name is. But uh, Tim Hudak, you got two young girls. Did they ever go through the Brownie and uh, Guide uh, path? They were, they were there last night, John. No when way. The, the news broke. It was outrageous. There was a, a, brown, a little Brownie protest. What are you going to call us now? <laughs> yeah, Maitland's actually a Brownie, and Miller is uh, volunteering. Uh, as a uh, as a leadership um, uh, assistant there, so they were both there. I, I don't get it. I guess if people are offended, I didn't imagine it. I guess I wouldn't be called a brownie, so I never would have imagined this sort of thing. But boy, the girl guides uh, overall seem to be very obsessed with political correctness. Maybe there's a growing body that believes they need to change their name. But I remember they actually banned travel to the United States when they were mad at Donald Trump. I just wish they'd concentrate on good programs for the girls and keeping those cookies going. Okay, Mark Warner, the idea here was that uh, brownie was considered offensive by some in the BIPOC community, and so best to find a new name. Well, first of all, I, I don't tend to use the word BIPOC. I, I never met one. I don't know what that is. I, I know what black people are. <laughs> okay. um, I don't know about this BIPOC thing. All right, well, do you find it offensive? Um, I don't, John. I'm a 58-year-old black man who grew up in Canada and lived in many different parts of the country. So when I think of racism, I don't really think of things that are this abstract. And I do get a little bit annoyed by it. I, I guess it's free for newer people to the country to to think of this is what they think of as racism when they think of it in 2022. But it's pretty hard for me to relate to as a 58-year-old black man. To be very honest with you, I find this silly. Okay. That's actually worth emphasizing, I think, especially as a guy who grew up in the Maritimes. Um, you know, people... Yeah, but I lived in Northern Ontario, lived in Montreal, yeah. so I, I don't want to emphasize that. I mean, I, I, I don't really distinguish the various regions. I mean, I've lived in Canada. Canada has a history of racism, and I, I, this, to me, trivializes that history. Okay, well, that puts, that puts the fine point on it, because you're absolutely right. You know, the name of a guiding group called Brownies is being changed because they think it's offensive. Meanwhile, some black people still can't get housing or a job. So I think that's worth emphasizing. Uh, Laura Babcock, your thoughts? Well, I disagree from the point of view that, uh, you know, it's I was a brownie at the time. And, of course, I didn't know what it meant. It used to be called Rosebuds, then it was brownies. It's after a Scottish hobgoblin uh, fairy tale. You know, it, it's not the name was never meant to be offensive. But there are people who are called brownies and it is a slur against them for the color of their skin. And they find in 2022 that to have this organization called that 
does them harm. And so I'm going to listen to them. Language evolves, culture evolves. It's not harming me. It's not going to harm the brownies to change it. They've changed it once before. It's an opportunity for them maybe even to increase recruitment and to get some branding out there. It's a PR opportunity if handled well. So they should take it. This is a tough conversation, but it's a conversation we're going to have to have many times in the future, I think. There is a woman who is obtaining permission to have medical assistance in dying, and her issue is she needs public housing, but it must absolutely be allergy-free because she has this hypersensitivity. Uh, Laura Babcock, I'll start with you on this one. Um, for obvious, Not obvious reasons necessarily, but that is a pretty big ask to try to find publicly available, publicly subsidized housing that doesn't have any chemicals used in any part of the building. But the fact that this woman is going to kill herself instead of you know, pressing on is beyond distressing. It is beyond distressing, and I can't believe that we still haven't figured out a way to accommodate this. I mean, we've talked about this before. This is not an, this is a young woman, relatively speaking, who has been begging and begging for help from her government to provide her with housing that she won't die in, and we can't seem to get that done. What a failure. I mean, what a tragedy if she ends up following through with the MAID program, but what a failure of our healthcare system. This is not like it's a surprise. She has been working on this for a long time. Time. Is she going to be the only individual who's going to have a hypersensitivity to chemicals? Are we not looking at the longer term, bigger picture and saying, what do, can we do in deeply affordable housing? What can we do in affordable housing that meets people's different environmental sensitivities? I mean, come on. If this woman dies, it's a pox on all our houses. Tim Hudak? Just can't believe we can't solve this. I. I, I... I just have trouble putting my mind around it that with all the different just social housing we have, not-for-profit housing we have, government programs we have at every single level, you couldn't solve this. And and I, I just don't believe medically-assisted death has, has moved quickly in our country. It was the right thing to do, as difficult it is to put your mind around that sometimes. We've expanded that to mental health, but for lack of housing, uh, I, I think that goes too far. But surely, to the goodness, you can actually find a place that will meet the need and not end somebody's life because they couldn't find a home. Okay, Mark Warner, last word on this file. You know, for me, I, I, I see the housing angle, but I have to tell you, I, I, I think that that made decision, the Carter decision, was probably the single worst decision I've ever read by the Canadian Supreme Court. I don't you know, say that lightly. I mean, I read it and I almost fell off my chair because the last few paragraphs of it, the judges, none of them signed their names to the decision, by the way, which I also thought was interesting, said that there is no slippery slope because it's Canada and we won't have a slippery slope like what you see in Belgium and Netherlands. And then I think maybe a day later, we started having articles about you know, people with mentally Ill, mental illnesses or younger people or minors using this sort of a program. I, I think this completely wasn't thought through, and it's really a good example of focus on the housing if you want, but I focus on we've got to get control of this Supreme Court, <laughs> and we're going to have to have a more mature conversation about this charter 40 years after it came into existence. I think we're seeing that, that some of these things, they just, it's not fit for purpose. Wondering if you folks have thoughts on uh, Brenda Lucky, Commissioner of the RCMP, testifying yesterday. By my mind, there are two takeaways. One, she expressed the uh, lost confidence in Ottawa police to look after the affairs. But also, Tim Hudak, she said that she actually advised the Prime Minister's office that the RCMP, at the very least, had not exhausted all of the tools in its kit um, and did not yet require the Emergencies Act. 
Yeah, re reinforcing the two main streams that I, I believe are, are coming through this uh, commission. Number one, that it was a, 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 a sad, pathetic Keystone Cops uh, type movie, tragically, when it comes to Ottawa Police Force and their leadership. And number two, that while politically the optics may have looked good to use the Emergencies Act, they weren't necessary. The provincial and existing powers would have been adequate to do the job like they were in Windsor and in Toronto. And in that respect, too, when you see behind the scenes now with the Nova Scotia shooting and this in Ottawa, I do have, I have lost confidence in our commissioner for the RCMP. I just do not like the way that she comes across behind the scenes, not up to the job. Okay, Mark Warner, your thoughts? You know, I, I agree. With, I, what, did, what did Christy Bradford used to say in the situations like that? Is my analysis my also? <laughs> yes. Well, I say that. <laughs> okay, and Laura Babcock. Then you get the last word. Yeah, well, I think that I agree with Tim in that she has lost confidence. Um, and, and Ottawa police obviously have to be working on an internal on everything to do with this uh, beyond what the inquiry or the commission finds out. They've got to completely look at how they turn this into such a mess. But in terms of the point about, you know, could the provinces have handled it? I'd love to have seen the premier show up so we could have heard what was going on in the premier's office from his perspective. I mean, if we're going to say that it wasn't necessary because the, the provinces could have handled it, Ontario could have handled it, then let's hear from the Premier. Thank you all. Good to have you this morning. And yes, to come back to that quote, uh, Christy Blatchford, after somebody had delivered a particularly cogent piece of analysis, and I turned to her and she would say, that is my analysis also. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845, weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.